Okay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as has already been shared and at different times throughout our worship and what Mike was uh, just sharing then as he was praying today, as I come to speak, we're going to be thinking about friendship. Uh, what I want us to do is to start considering how it is that we show or demonstrate our love to our friends. Uh, so just to, to start, I'd like you to just have a chat with some of the people around you uh, and just share what are some of the ways in which you show or demonstrate your love to your friends. So just very quickly, not going to get too in-depth with stuff, just a minute or so. How do you show your love to your friends? Okay, if you'd like to be just drawing those conversations to a close. Uh, sounds like there were some good conversations being had. Uh, I'm sure there were lots of things that were coming up, and I'm sure we could have carried on speaking for, for a little longer as well, thinking about the ways in which we demonstrate, show our love to our friends. Some of the things that came to my mind, and maybe these were things that you were discussing, I'm sure there would have been others, but I was thinking, actually, it's about spending time together. It's about being available, making yourself available for your friends. Maybe it's looking at practical ways in which we can bless them and love them. Maybe they need a lift somewhere, and that's a way in which we can demonstrate something of our love for them. Maybe it could be sending them a card. It could be sharing encouraging words. It could be helping them if they're in a, in a place of need. There might be something that you can do to help them in their need. Maybe it's giving gifts. I've put in my notes here, such as a Milky Way. <laughs> Hoping someone takes the hint. But maybe that's a way in which we can show someone that we love them, by giving them gifts. See, there are many ways in which we demonstrate love for our friends, aren't there? And if we think about it, some of them are more costly than others. They require more of us. Some of them take more, uh, mean us giving more of our time, opening ourselves up more than others. Some things are fairly easy, aren't they, and straightforward in which we can do, but some of them require a little more. They're a bit more costly. And this question really of uh, how to demonstrate love for your friends comes up uh, in John 15. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to John 15, uh, it will be up on the screen as well. But just while you're finding your way there, just to kind of set this sermon in context in terms of the series that we're doing, we've been working our way through a series that we've called Just One Name. And it's uh, actually was the, the chorus that we were just singing before I came up to speak um, is from a, from a hymn uh, which speaks about who Jesus is. And the chorus of it um, is just one name. What is it? Just one name I adore. Just one name awakes my soul. Just one name above them all. Jesus. And within this song, there was a particular verse that caught my attention that it speaks of Jesus and a number of the names of Jesus or aspects of Jesus' character and who he is that I thought actually it would be great for us to spend some time really thinking about who Jesus is. Because we might say his name a lot. We might sing his name a lot. We might hear his name being spoken a lot, but in order to understand just how, um, why his is the name that needs to be adored above all other names, we actually need to know who Jesus is and to look at these different parts of his nature and his character. And so we've been thinking so far about Jesus as prophet, priest and king. And then last week, Neil was speaking to us, Jesus as the shepherd. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus as friend. And in John 15, we have some verses that show us how Jesus revealed or how Jesus demonstrated his love for his friends. So let's pick up John 15. We're going to start from verse 12. So John 15, verse 12. 
This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's saying, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So let's just set this in a little bit of context here. When Jesus is speaking these words, as I mentioned just a moment ago, he's with his disciples. And this is on the evening that he's going to be arrested and subsequently tried and then crucified in the days following that. So this is a time where Jesus, he's among his friends. He's with his disciples uh, and kind of from chapter, we're, we're reading from chapter 15, but if you go back to chapter 13 and read from there, we see this is the time that Jesus is spending with his disciples. So in the lead up to that time where he was going to be betrayed and tried. And here he's just sharing really his heart with his disciples. He's saying about this is what's going to happen. And he's kind of giving them an insight really, an explanation of what is going to happen and and what it means to be part of uh, the kingdom of God and all these sorts of wonderful things that he's discussing with them, including um, in chapter 14, he speaks about how the Holy Spirit is going to come. So even though he's going to be going away, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent uh, and is going to be given to those who follow him. And it's into this context that Jesus gives this command. So bear in mind, he's with his disciples, he's with his friends, he's spending this time with them, being able to just, just pour out his heart to them, reveal more of his heart and his plans and his purposes to them. And it's into this context that Jesus gives this command. And the command that he gives is this, he says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, my focus for today isn't so much to kind of think about or unpack how love for one another is outworked. You could definitely do a, you could definitely do a sermon on that. Thinking about what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to love one another. That would be a, a great thing to look at and a great thing to explore. But actually my focus isn't on that. My focus today instead is to look at the friendship of Jesus. Because this command that Jesus gives, when he's given it, if you look, he's using the language of friendship all the way through, isn't he? He's speaking about his friends. Speaking about what it is to be his friends. And the command that he's given is given within this context, or it's given within the framework of friendship. It's something to be worked out in friendship. Friendship with one another, but friendship with Jesus. And there are two main areas, or really two main points, that I want us to focus on today. And I'm going to say them at the outset so you can keep track of where we are as I go through. The first thing we're going to look at is this, is that Jesus' friends are the objects of his love. Okay, so Jesus' friends are the objects of his love. And then the second thing we're then going to go on to, dis- to, to explore and to look at together is that Jesus' friends respond in obedience to him. Jesus' friends respond in obedience to him. So let's think about that first point then, that Jesus' friends are the objects of his love. We can see already in this commandment that Jesus 
has been given that, that, that he loves his friends, that he loves those that are following him, his disciples. It, it says in the command, doesn't it? It says that you are to love one another as I have loved you. So it's there from the outset. He said, look, I love you. I'm giving you this command, but as I do so, notice it's from a place of love. It's because I love you. And we can, I don't know, sort of, let me jump back a little bit. So he's given this command, uh, and, and we can see just from the outset that there's something about this, this love and this affection that he has for those who are following him. Then let's go on and read verse 13 again. It says, greater love, so bear in mind, he's just said, I love you. He's now saying, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now we can read that, and we can maybe think, actually, that doesn't quite sound right. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And actually, we might come to a point where we're thinking, surely love for an enemy, or being laying down your life for an enemy, is a greater love, it would cost more, than laying down your life for someone that you love or for someone who is your friend. And actually, if we were to look in Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's actually commanding them. He's saying, look, you need to love your enemies. I need you to love your enemies. Not just to love those that you get on with, not just to love those who are your friends. Uh, I need you to love your enemies. So there's truth in that. And then if we look at Romans 5, when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he's speaking about how God uh, actually is reconciling people to himself while they were enemies of God. So this language is being used, and this idea of love for enemies is something that is scriptural, it's biblical, and it's something that is right. Jesus himself said about it to his disciples. But we have to remember the context that Jesus is speaking into here. Because we're not looking at it. We could look at it maybe on a scale of how do we look at what great, greater love is? Laying down life for friends at one end of the scale and then thinking actually enemies at the other end of the scale. Thinking surely it gets more and more costly the further up this scale you go from friend to enemy. Does that make sense? Surely it's greater to lay down your life for an enemy than for a friend. But if we're thinking of that actually in the context that Jesus is speaking into we're, we're thinking about we're coming at it from the wrong mindset. Let me just remind you. At this point, remember, Jesus is with his friends. He's addressing his friends. He's, in a way, he's setting the pattern for their future behaviour. He's saying, this is how I want you to be. This is the kind of people that I want you to be. And so if we go back to our opening question, how do you demonstrate your love for your friends... We were saying, look, there are many ways in which you can love your friends, and some of them will cost more than others. Some of them will require more of you than others. Maybe at one end of the scale, we've got, uh, I don't know, sending someone a text. And then at the other scale, we've got laying down your life for your friend. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. He's talking within the context of friendship. What is the greatest love that you can give to your friends? What is the greatest love that you can demonstrate to your friends? And when Jesus, in those verses that we've just read, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying there is no greater love that someone can have for their friends than they lay down their life 
for them. That is the greatest love that anyone can have for their friends, that they would lay down their life for them. Now the disciples at this point, they didn't know this, but this is exactly what Jesus was going to go on and do for them in the coming days, isn't it? Remember, he's speaking to them before, his, this is him speaking before he's arrested and crucified. And he's saying to them, look, there's no, no way, there's no greater love for someone and their friends that they would lay down their life for them. But at this point, Jesus is there, isn't he? He's with the disciples. So actually, I don't think they would have quite grasped, quite grasped what he was going to say. But this is exactly what Jesus went on to do for them. Not only is it what Jesus went on to do for them, it's what Jesus has done for us. He laid down his life for us. John Piper, when speaking about this verse, he says that we measure the love and friendship of Jesus by the price that he paid for us. You want to know how much Jesus loves you? Look at the price he paid for you. Do you ever consider the price that Jesus paid? Perhaps a challenge for all of us, I know it definitely is for me. Do we consider the price that Jesus paid? See, after, uh, in these passage, this passage of scripture that we're looking at, after this, Jesus and his disciples, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, which is where he's betrayed and, and arrested. But before he's arrested, we read in Luke 22, it says that he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into, in, may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew with them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus knew what it would cost for him in laying down his life. As he looked into the cup, that cup, it's a metaphor really, a picture for the future suffering that he was going to go through on the cross. That Jesus was taken upon himself the wrath of God. He was taken upon himself the wrath of the Father. And as we read the words in his prayer and as we see what happened when Jesus was in the garden as he was praying, we can just see this anguish and this sorrow that he was going through. This was costly. And Jesus knew that it was going to be costly. Then in Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Crucifixion was 
it was a public execution. When people were crucified, they were nailed to that cross naked. They were beaten in front of crowds. Crucifixion was ultimately intended for death, but it was also intended to bring shame. That was a huge part of it. It was about shaming the person as well. Jesus endured the shame. It was costly. He paid the price. The writer of Hebrews says he paid the price why? for the joy that was set before him. Because there was something that he could see about what his death and resurrection was going to achieve. In terms of bringing men and women and children into his family. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said in terms of, his, in terms of Jesus' expression of friendship on the cross. He says that Jesus Christ looked down from the cross and saw all the people denying him and betraying him and forsaking him and mocking him and rejecting him and in the greatest act of friendship in the history of the world he stayed brothers and sisters we have been loved to a measure that cannot be surpassed it cannot be bettered it's not like a record that stands for a period of time before someone comes along and beats it. This is the greatest love that someone can have for their friends. You see, in verse 13, what Jesus is saying is, if you are my friend, I love you with the greatest possible love. See, Jesus' friends are the objects of his love. Can we see just how costly it was, the price that Jesus paid. But in that cost, we see the measure of his love for his friends. So Jesus' friends are the objects of his love, but they, they are then to respond in obedience to him. Let's read verse 14. It says, For you are my friends, if you do what I command you, You see, there's something or something that distinguishes the friends of Jesus is their obedience to him. We have to be really, really careful when we read this verse because it can, the way we interpret it can lead us to two very different places, to two very different conclusions. And I think there's two ways in which we can read it. One of them is the way it should be read and one of them is a very dangerous place for us to go. Let's start with the one that is the dangerous Understanding, Because we can read it at this. Read it as this. We can read it as, if you do what I command you, then you will be my friends. We can read it like that. If you do what I command you, then you will be my friends. If we read it like this, then the obedience is the cause of the friendship. Does that make sense? So, in which case, the friendship is dependent on the obedience. But verse 12 that we read right at the start, it shows us that this cannot be the case. If, it, if obedience was the cause of friendship, verse 12 would say this. This is my commandment, that you love one another in order that I would love you. But it doesn't say that. Jesus says, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have 
loved you. See, obedience is not the cause of a friendship. Rather, it is the effect or the evidence of that friendship. It's something that works itself out from that place of friendship rather than seeking to achieve or create that friendship in the first place. Really what Jesus is saying here is, if you obey my commands, then it shows that you are my friends. It's the evidence of it. If you're my friends, then then you will obey my commands, then you'll do the things uh, that I call you to, that you'll live the life that I've called you to. Jesus actually gave, uh, he said a little bit earlier in chapter 13, Pretty much, he says something very similar. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can you see that? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's something about uh, the, the uh, outworking, out outworking of obedience that shows... Who our friend is. It shows who we belong to. The way that we love one another will show people whose disciples we are. It's not in order that we become his disciples. It's, an, it's the outworking. It's the evidence of the friendship that we have. And we have to make sure that we understand this properly. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, he says that this obedience is not what makes them friends. It is what characterizes his friends. So friends of Jesus, if you're a friend of Jesus, then your life uh, of obedience should, should characterize the friendship that you have with him. So why is this distinction important? See, we've got these two ways that perhaps we can read this verse. Why is the distinction important? The distinction important is important because of this, because we can never earn the love of Jesus. We can never earn the love of Jesus we need to know that we need to be reminded of that we need to be reminded of that frequently because the love of Jesus is not something or friendship with Jesus is not something to be achieved it's something to be received we have to understand that it can maybe seem a bit strange it can maybe seem uncomfortable to speak about obedience in terms of friendship definitely not the way that I speak about my friends or I speak to my friends um, I, I expect probably that's your, your kind of experience of friendship you don't talk about actually you need to be obedient to what I'm asking you to do or what I'm telling you to do, it can seem a little bit not quite sure how I feel about this if we're friends then why are we talking about obedience, that doesn't really sound much like friendship to me But we have to understand that this friendship is different to all other friendships. And we can't allow our understanding or our, our focus of what this friendship with Jesus looks like based on the friendship that we have one another with one another. See, through this series, uh, it's been an absolute joy to be looking to Jesus, to be thinking about who Jesus is. We've looked at Jesus as prophet, and when Mike was speaking then, he was speaking of... Um, how, how Jesus, when asked for a sign, he said, the only sign you'll have uh, is going to be about his death and resurrection. That will be the sign that he gives. And how Jesus, as the prophet, was not speaking words only, but he himself was the fulfillment 
of that. And then we looked at Jesus as priest, how he is the great high priest. And because of Jesus, where once, uh, because God is so holy and people are so sinful, uh, people could not enter into the presence of God. But because of Jesus, we can now enter into God's presence with confidence. And then Pete was speaking about Jesus as king. And he's a king of a kingdom that is unshakable. That his rule and reign is permanent. That Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Last week, Neil was speaking about Jesus as the good shepherd, as the one who goes in search of the lost. He's the one that rescues them. He's the one that brings them back into his flock. He's the one that brings them into his family. You can be friends of this Jesus. You see, this friendship is different to all other friendships because this friend, Jesus, is different to all other friends. So we need to get over any sense of, I feel uncomfortable talking about friendship and obedience. This is Jesus we're talking about. Let's not measure our friendship or kind of try to formulate our understanding of friendship with Jesus in the way that we do with one another. Because this friendship is unlike any other friendship. Because Jesus is unlike any other friend. Now Jesus reveals his love through the cross. Hopefully we've seen that already in the first part that I was looking at today. He reveals his love through the cross. But Jesus also reveals his love through the revelation of truth. Let me, let's jump back to verse 15 and hopefully you'll grasp what I'm getting at here. Because Jesus, when speaking to the disciples, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, Jesus is really, he's going to lengths here to say, actually, something's changed in terms of the relationship here. You're not my servants any longer. You're my friends. Something's changed here. You're not servants, but you're friends. You see, servants obey because that's what hierarchy dictates. That's the way things work. In, a, in that sort of hierarchy. Their duty is to do what their master tells them. That's how hierarchy works, isn't it? The person above them tells them what to do and they obey it because that's where they fit on the order. There's obedience without understanding. They don't need to understand what they've been asked to do. They don't need to understand the purpose behind it or the thinking behind it. They don't need to know what the master's motivation is or what the master's heart is to it. They do it because they're told to do it. Because that's what's expected of them. Because that's their role as servants. But with friends, it's different. We've spent the last few weeks, a lot of the time, when we've been looking at Jesus as prophet, priest and king, and even when Neil was speaking on shepherd, a lot of it was rooted in the Old Testament. So before Jesus' birth, a lot of it was rooted in that. And today, as we're speaking about Jesus as our friend, actually, we're going to jump back to the Old Testament for a, just for a moment. Because if we look in the Old Testament, there, there are only two characters in the Old Testament, two people in the Old Testament, who are called friends of God. That was Abraham and Moses. The only two people in the Old Testament who were called friends of God. So in one sense, in calling us friends... Jesus is extending the privilege of friendship in a way that it hasn't been up until the point where, where he's now with his disciples. So we'd had 
we'd had Abraham and Moses who'd been called the friends of God. But can you see now in Jesus calling us friends, he's extended that privilege of friendship in a way that it never had been. But if we also look at Abraham and Moses, when we look at their stories, we see that God spoke with them, didn't he? God revealed his plans and his purposes for his people to these men. And in the same way, Jesus is he's drawing this important distinction between servants and friends. Saying a friend gets to see something of the master's heart. They understand where the master is coming from. They're drawn in. They're not just told what to do and expected to obey. Actually, the master wants to share something of his heart. And he wants to reveal his purposes and his plans. D.A. Carson, who I mentioned just a moment ago, he says that an absolute potentate or a ruler demands obedience in all his subjects. His slaves, however, are simply told what to do while his friends are informed of his thinking, enjoy his confidence and learn to enjoy with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. You see, that's, that's kind of like night and day, isn't it? Just the absolute difference between servants and friends. He continues, he says, so also here, Jesus' absolute right to command is in no way diminished. Understand this. Jesus' absolute right to command, which he has, that is in no way diminished, but he takes pains to inform his friends of his motives, his plans, and his purposes. Jesus reveals the Father's heart to his friends. We don't obey out of blind obedience, but out of the intimacy of friendship. I think that speaking about obedience out of some sense of blind obedience, because that's what's expected of you, can be hard to live out. If you're anything like me, there's perhaps a little rebellious streak within you that would push back against that. You're telling me to obey, but I don't know why. I don't obey in for, it feels like obeying for obeying sake. But actually, when you understand that this obedience is a call out of the intimacy of friendship, as the Father's heart is revealed to us, and I don't know about you, but for me, that makes obedience a lot more I don't know if this is the right way of putting it, but it's a lot more attractive. It's a lot more, I, I can give myself to that in a way than just being told what to do. Maybe that's just me, but there is a little bit of that in me. But remember this. Jesus, at this point with his disciples, he's speaking before his crucifixion. A lot of the, there's a lot that he was sharing in this, a lot that we've been unpacking today it's easier for us to understand now because we live in this side of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. But for the disciples, there was a lot that they wouldn't have been able to understand as Jesus was sharing this. Chapter 14, verse 25 to 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus knew that there was a lot that he was sharing that the disciples wouldn't have understood at this point. That would only make sense, that would only become clear in the days and weeks that would have come. But he says, actually, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Spirit to you and he will teach you and he will bring to your remembrance all of these things that I've shared to you. You see, Jesus demonstrates his love through the cross, but he also demonstrates his love through revelation of truth. Unlike slaves, Jesus' friends are informed. They are taught everything that is needed to obey him gladly. Isn't that good news? For friends of Jesus, they are taught everything needed to obey him gladly. John 16. Again, speaking about the Holy Spirit from verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We live in times where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all people. If you've been born again, then you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. And one of the, the things that the Holy Spirit does is he, he reveals truth to us. He reveals more of Jesus to us. He reveals the Father's heart to us. He's the one who enables us to understand Scripture. He's the one who enables us to pray. God has given us gifts of the Spirit in order to, to, to worship, but also uh, in ways where, where God speaks to us and reveals more of his heart to us. So those words that John was speaking about who the Holy Spirit is and what he will do when he comes, that is true for us today as much as it was for the disciples then. We are taught everything that we needed to obey Jesus, but to obey him gladly. This is not about blind obedience. This is an outworking of the intimacy of friendship. Romans 8, 14, Galatians 5, 18 say very similar things. They speak about being led or being guided by the Holy Spirit as we walk in obedience. We don't have to do this out of our own efforts. We don't have to do this out of our own striving. We've got the Holy Spirit within us who leads us and guides us and enables us to walk in obedience. Because it's not easy always, is it? To be obedient to what Jesus calls us to or to live lives that are obedient. But Praise God, we've been given the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. See, this is not a privilege afforded to servants, but it is a privilege extended to friends. And this call to obedience is not just for obedience' sake. Jesus goes on to say that he chose us for a purpose. Jesus goes on to say that our obedience serves a purpose and the purpose is this, is so that we would bear fruit in the purposes of God. That there would be fruitfulness in terms of people coming to salvation. That there would be fruitfulness in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Father in our lives. It was for a purpose. 
It's not just obedience for obedience sake. There's a purpose within it. That we would be people who bear fruit. Doesn't that sound good? Do you want to be a fruit-bearing people? Do you want to be people whose lives are characterised by just fruitfulness in God's purposes in your lives? Do you want to see fruit in terms of people coming to know Jesus because, of, or because he's used you through your obedience and the lives that you've lived? For us individually and for a church. That's what Jesus is saying. I chose you for this. Your obedience serves a purpose in this. And it's not fruit that will spoil or just last for a season or two. He says this, he says, it is fruit that will last. A lot of people don't know, they speak about a legacy. What is my life going to stand for? What legacy am I going to leave behind? Jesus said, I've got a purpose for you. There is fruit for you. There is fruit that will last. That's the kind of legacy that I want to have. Fruit that will long outlast my lifetime. Lou and Pete. You're right to come back up. We're going to come back into a time of worship. I think having spoken with Lou, we're going to do the song that it said. Um, it's a song about offering our lives up to Jesus as a response to our friendship. But I just want to say this as we come to close. I guess in summary, this is what I want you to take away from what I've shared. If you're a follower of Jesus, know this. He loves you with the greatest possible love. He's called you to obedience, but it's not a blind obedience, but out of the intimacy of friendship. If you're a follower of Jesus, know this. He chose you. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you you for a purpose that you would be fruitful in the purposes of God and that the fruit that comes out of your life will be fruit that will last if you're here this morning and you're not yet following Jesus know this he paid the price for you too that you would be his friend that you can have relationship with God. The question is, will you follow him? There will be a cost to pay. Because following Jesus means leaving old ways of living behind. It means living lives of obedience to him as we've been speaking about today. So there is a decision to be made. But I would stand here today and tell you that it is a decision that is well worth making. I invite you to stand, church. We're going to come back, in a, as I say, in, in worship to respond.